song. I like that song, and well done. I appreciate the accompaniment and the singing. Thank God for the cross, and uh, I appreciate that good song. Verse 25 is my text verse in that passage of Scripture, and I want you to see it again. Uh, the Bible says in verse 25, But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. I want to preach on the subject, holding fast. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the preaching of your word tonight. I desire to be a blessing, and I desire to give instruction I believe is needed in our day. And may you be pleased, may you be glorified in the truth of the message tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. At least six times in the New Testament we find the instruction, hold fast. It is an important instruction. It was in the day it was given. It is in the day in which you and I are living. Before I give the context of this verse, uh, let me define the truth and what it means to hold fast. There are two things that I want to emphasize in defining uh, the words hold fast. The word hold fast or the words hold fast does not just mean to hold on to something, it means to hold it or grip it tightly. And there's a reason for that. It means, second of all, there is a force of some kind desiring to take it away. And uh, so the instruction, hold fast. For example, uh, you may say to someone going outside on a windy day, better hold on to your hat. And uh, you do so because there's a force, there's a wind uh, that would take it away. And so uh, you say you better hold fast. Uh, if you ride in a car with certain people, <clears throat> uh, you may give instruction, hold fast. Now, I didn't say any names. It was the Holy Ghost of God that brought that conviction uh, to uh, that one in your family that I'm talking about tonight. Uh, hold fast. You don't say to somebody, uh, now hold on to your shoes, uh, hold on to your socks. Uh, they're not going to come off unless you ride with that person I was talking about. And, um, uh, but, but, but you say, hold fast. Or uh, you might give someone money. Uh, you might give someone something that has a, a high value or that is rare. And you say, you better hold on uh, to that. When I was a boy, uh, and I, I would say this would have been uh, in the uh, mid-late 70s, my grandfather, my dad's dad, would give me on Monday morning five quarters. And uh, he would get to give that to me. It was a quarter a day. And you could buy a, uh, a Pepsi and a pack of peanuts for a quarter. And uh, you take a, about a, a drink of about an ounce out of a glass bottle. You pour the peanuts right in the glass bottle. And you eat them and drink them like that. How many of you are with me tonight? You know what I'm talking about, the rest of you. Uh, you need to try it before you're critical of it. And, uh, but anyway, uh, a quarter would buy a pack of nabs, uh, peanut butter crackers, and uh, anything peanut butter, and a Pepsi Cola, uh, or a RC and a Moon Pine. So he would give that to me, and oftentimes he'd put it in my hand. Have you ever put something in someone's hand and then you uh, and 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 you close their hand? You said, "Now you hold on to that." 
uh, you hold tight. I've seen folks uh, put their children uh, uh, off to school and put money or uh, their lunch in their hand. Of course, most boys learn early uh, to hold fast to their lunch because of other fellows in class that would eat it. And, uh, but, but you put that in their hand and you tell them to hold fast. Let, let me give you an illustration. J.C., I want you to come up here just a moment. I'm going to give you something tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm going to stand over here so everybody can see. I'm going to give him uh, a challenge coin. Uh, J.C. is my oldest grandson. And I'm going to give him a challenge coin. Uh, all of the staff have one. Stand right over here. Uh, all the staff have one. There are a few preachers. I believe I have 500 of these. There are a few preachers across the country uh, that have these. Uh, I don't know anybody else that does. Just staff, just a few folks. I'm going to give that to you tonight. I want to tell you now, hold fast. It won't work in a bubblegum machine. In fact, it won't work anywhere. Uh, but it's special. It means you're committed to attend Commonwealth Baptist College if you receive it. You got it? Is that a good deal? Now, now, I want you to hold on to that, all right? That's yours from me. I want you to put it in place to keep it at home, all right? It's yours. I love you. All right. Now, uh, you can go back to sleep. And uh, uh, anyway, he wasn't asleep. He was misbehaving. Uh, no, he wasn't. He wasn't either. Now, uh, when you give someone something special, uh, something that others might want, uh, something that there is a force desiring to take it away, you would say, I don't want you to, I just don't want you to have it. I want you to hold fast uh, what I'm giving you. Now, let me give you the context of, uh, of uh, uh, Revelation chapter 2 and verses 18 through 25. This is a message giving, given to the church of Thyatira. There are seven churches in the Asia Minor, and Thyatira is one of those uh, seven churches. The longest message was sent to the church in the smallest city. Thyatira was a military town. It was also a commercial center. It was a place where trade was going on in and out of the city. It was a military city. However, uh, this city was some, uh, somewhat corrupt for two reasons. Uh, there was idolatry and there, were, there was immorality uh, in that city. Some of that was because of the military base that, that was there in Thyatira. Now, two of the enemies of the church is idolatry, worshiping something in the place of God, and uh, immorality. It is sad, by the way, uh, that anybody would work to take advantage of military soldiers like they, our uh, government has in the state here, uh, putting a casino just outside of the base at Fort Campbell in western Kentucky. I'm not sure if you know that has been built in the last few years. It was illegal, and uh, the uh, you say, preacher, you said this last Sunday night. I know, and I think I forgot it two Sunday nights ago, uh, but I know I said it last week and the ten Sunday nights before. As you know, I'm, I'm against uh, expanded gambling. I was against the gambling we had before they expanded it. I'll get back to the sermon in just a moment. I won't lose my place. And they built that casino conveniently right outside of the military base. And it was there to take advantage of young soldiers. What a sad thing. The same was true in Thyatira. And it increased the problem of idolatry and immorality. There was actually a temple that was built there. 
and uh, it was for the sun god Apollo. Uh, now, one of the Greek gods, Apollo, uh, basically was a god that represented everything. Uh, whatever you wanted Apollo to be, that's what Apollo was. And uh, whatever, uh, wh whatever you desired to do. Uh, that's why folks turn from God to a false God because a false God says, what do you want? And God says, I'll tell you what will make you happy. You do what I say. And some folks don't like that, and so they find a God like Apollo. And so there in Thyatira, there was a temple there, and it was built to the sun god Apollo. And it explains why the Lord introduced himself early on in this instruction as the Son of God. That's the only time in Revelation the title Son of God is given. And John delivered a message of severe warning and judgment to this congregation. And the context is divided into three parts. First of all, uh, there were some things this church did well. We see that in verse number 19. Their works are characterized by faith and love and patience, and they cared about the needs of others, and that is a good thing. Second of all, in verses 20 through 23, there were some things that were wrong uh, that John exposed and explained and gave them an opportunity to repent of and to change. First of all, I want to say no amount of sacrificial work could compensate for the tolerance of evil, and that very thing happens today. Folks think they can justify bad behavior with extra good behavior. Nothing gives us a right to do wrong against a God, but that's what they were doing, and they were permitting a false prophetess to influence the people and bring compromise. I'll tell you what it was in just a moment. Now, this woman here, her name was not Jezebel, but she was characterized by that Old Testament woman, uh, Jezebel. And so that's why the name is given here because of her adulterous behavior. What we know about Jezebel is that she was always immodest and she was immoral and not satisfied with that until she had others committing the immorality as she was. She was so wicked. Uh, you remember the story when Jehu came riding into town and she was there in the window and uh, they threw her down from the window and she fell on the ground and the Bible said that the dogs ate her uh, just as the prophet said uh, that they would all but her skull, her head, her wicked hands and her wicked feet. Now that's what God thought about Jezebel and that doesn't leave any room for wonder. We know exactly what God thought and the judgment that came upon her. So uh, that character, uh, characterization of that woman from the Old Testament is given now in the New Testament in this church. And the seductive teaching of this prophetess was similar to the doctrine of Balaam that the Lord had, con had condemned uh, the church in Pergamos for. Now here's what she did. She taught believers, those that had been born again, she taught them how to compromise with the Roman religion and with the Apollo God and the practices of the various groups. They would form groups and they would say, 
We'll do business with you if you agree with our behavior and we agree with your behavior. And so if you didn't agree with their behavior, which included immodesty and morality and wickedness of all kinds, and that's a part of all of that uh, Greek mythology, if you didn't agree with them, they wouldn't let you in and you couldn't do business with them. Well, there were Christians that were suffering because they trusted Christ as Savior. And, and, and they didn't take part in those practices again. Well, there's a woman here. She is called or characterized, uh, characterized by the uh, uh, Old Testament uh, person, Jezebel. And she taught them, here's what you need to do to be accepted by these groups uh, so you don't cause problems for yourself. That's what God is upset about. And that's what he's writing them about. It's interesting to contrast this church of Thyatira uh, with the church at Ephesus. The Ephesus church uh, was uh, weakening in its love, uh, yet they were faithful to judge the false teachers. While the people in the assembly at Thyatira, they were growing in their love, but they're tolerant of false doctrine. God said, both of you are wrong. By the way, what a desire to be right. And I'm not right, but God's right. And I want to do what God says to do. And he writes to the church here and he tells them, uh, he tells them uh, that this should be avoided. And not only was the church uh, uh, here tolerant of evil, but it was proud. And when given the opportunity to repent, it refused uh, to repent. So he says, Jezebel and your children or your followers are going to be sentenced to tribulation and death. Idolatry and compromise are in the Bible. Idolatry and compromise of doctrine. Idolatry and compromise of doctrine are pictured in the Bible as fornication. That's how they're pictured. God doesn't look favorably on changing the plan of salvation. And idolatry and compromise are in the Bible as fornication and unfaithfulness to marriage vows. Jezebel's bed of sin would become a bed of sickness and God would judge this false prophetess and her followers once and for all. There's a third part of the context. Not everyone in the church had taken part in the compromise. There was a remnant of righteous people. And in the verses of 24 through 29, he addresses that crowd and he has a special word for them. Thank God for those that are willing to get a hold of truth and truth satisfies them. They're not wanting to find anything else. They're not looking for anything else, but their faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. We trust the ever-living one and his wounds for us doth plead and we're glad to have found the truth of the word of God. Now, they had separated themselves from the false doctrine. They had separated themselves from the compromising practices of Jezebel and her followers. And he says to them, what you've been given, the truth that you have, hold fast. You get a hold of it and you hold on and don't you turn loose, don't you trade it, don't you exchange it for anything. You have the truth, be satisfied with the truth. 
I want to say this evening, in a day of compromise, in a day of spiritual complacency, in a day when nearly everything goes, not just outside the church, but even inside the church, we must hold fast to the truth and our resistance to evil. I want to say tonight, we ought to hold fast. We ought to hang on extra tight against the forces that are trying to take truth from us. I say tonight, we ought to hold fast to this old King James Bible. I'm going to tell you something, dear friend. That old book right there is a special book. It's a wonderful book. That book was paid for with the price of the martyr's blood. And I want to tell you, I don't want a book where it's changed, where it's watered down. Where Look, you say, well, I can't understand it. Well, improve your education. Don't, 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 don't make a comic book out of the Bible. Uh, uh, change yourself. I'm not looking for a book to change. I'm looking for a book that changes me. It was this book right here that told me I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And were it not for the truth of the Word of God, I would have gone to hell believing in religion and false hope. But thank God for the hope that's given to me in this old King James Bible. I hear folks, I've had folks tell me, well, I can't understand of that Bible. I've had many conversations on airplanes and they find out I'm a preacher and they'll ask questions about the Bible and which one do you use? And I said, I, I use the original one. I use the King James 1611. And they'll say, well, I can't understand it. I said, well, did you go to school? Well, they said, yes. I, I'll have you to know I, I hold in this degree and that. Some of them have more degrees than a thermometer. And uh, uh, and I said, well, that's strange. My grandmother had a second grade education. She understood it pretty good. Well, I don't understand thee and thou. Tell me what part of thee and thou you don't understand. I can define it for you. Thee means you. Thou means you. Must, that means you have to. What about those good words like reckon? I understand that one. Hey, I want to tell you something. Hold on to your King James Bible. I've heard folks say I don't understand it. I've asked them how many times have you read it through? Most of them have just read the cover. They haven't read it through. Hold on to your King James Bible. I want to say tonight... Hold on to salvation by grace through faith. That's what Jesus said will save your soul. Hold, hold fast. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to take away from it. We need to hold fast to the plan of salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Hold fast to the old time religion of salvation by grace through faith. I believe in baptism. I believe every person that gets born again but grace through faith ought to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. I believe in church membership. I believe every person that gets saved by grace through faith and follows the Lord in believer's baptism ought to be a member of the church. I believe that. But oh dear friend, that's not added to salvation. That's after I've been born again. I'm going to hold fast to separation from worldliness. 
Old Dr. Lakin used to say, the world is getting so churchy and the church is getting so worldly. I can't tell the difference in the two. I was talking to a fellow uh, in a, another uh, town in our state the other day. He said, Brother Fugit, what is it uh, with churches that have changed to a nightclub? He said, I used to be unsaved. I used to go to the nightclubs on Friday night and Saturday night. I used to sleep in on Saturday but he said, I got saved. I gave up the nightclub on Friday night and Saturday night. I started staying home. I started going to bed at night, going to church on Sunday morning. Why is it that the churches have changed from singing the old hymns of the faith? Why have they taken the lights out of the building? Why have they tried to make it look like what I got saved out of? I want to tell you, dear friend, I'm going to hold on to the old time religion and separation from worldliness. I'm going to hold on to the blood atonement. I'm going to hold fast to old time soul winning. You know what soul winning is? You just ask someone if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? You say that's sort of personal, isn't it? Sure is. Hold fast to soul winning. Hold fast to your convictions. Don't let your children change your convictions. Don't let your grandchildren change your convictions. They may be different than yours, but if they have a right to believe what they want to believe, dad has a right to believe what he wants, and grandpa has a right to the convictions that he believes. I'm going to hold to the old-time convictions, which are typically one step away from the sin, and I'm convicted to stay away from the sin as far as I can. I'm going to hold on to them. In fact, I'm going to keep living those. I'm going to teach those to my children and to my grandchildren. I'm not going to allow peer pressure to change who we are. I'm going to hold fast to those things. We're going to hold fast to old-time conservative music. You're not going to come here and wonder if that's a song you used to sing before you got saved. You're going to know. And, the, and, and not only is the message, uh, but the music ought to be uh, uplifting spiritually. It ought to strengthen us spiritually. This ain't a honky-tonk. This ain't a nightclub. This is God's house. We're not here to entertain the flesh. We're here to glorify God, our creator, our savior, our redeemer, and our coming king. Hold fast to conserve the music. Here's what he said to this crowd. Now, you know what's right. And there are those among you. There are those within your church. They have changed. They have compromised. But some of you have not. He said, I want you to hold fast. Hold fast to what you've been given. Now, I don't have time to preach all of these, but I just want to mention them. There's an admonition in 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Here's what it says. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Now, prove means see what's true. What's not true, throw it away. What is good, hold on to it. Now, why would he say hold fast to that which is good? Because there are those that want to take it away. I don't want to take it away. I don't want the winds of compromise to blow the good out of my hand. I don't want the compromise of the church to take the good out of my hand. I want to prove what is good. I want to throw away the bad. And I want to hold fast to the things that are true. Listen to me. Truth desires to be proven. It desires to be exercised in our lives. If you want to make someone mad, 
question their statement that is dishonest. You, you won't bother God by proving what God has said because everything that you prove of truth is true. For example, he tells us in Malachi 3, verse number 10, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now. Herewith saith the Lord of hosts. What does he mean, prove me? He said, do what I say, and prove me, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. What to prove the word of God. What to put it into practice. By the way, you ought to prove things. I read a story. I believe it was Friday morning. I believe it was Friday morning. And the story said the Hazard Appalachian Regional Hospital, the morgue is full. And because it is full and there's not room for the bodies of folks that have, that have died, they've called Mr. Bowling at the Maggard Funeral Home. I know, I know the folks. And asked if they could use their morgue to help store the bodies. And the story went on to say that the morgue at the funeral home would hold 20 to 25 bodies. And I thought, wow, that's terrible. I mean, and, and the story was everywhere. How many of you saw the story? Anybody see that story? All right, a couple of you did. I, I mean, it, I, I looked it up today. It was everywhere. It was all over the nation. Hospital morgue is full. So they called the funeral home so they could use their morgue so they didn't have to bring in a temporary morgue. So I asked the question, how many bodies does a morgue at the Hazard Hospital hold? I suppose it holds 20, 25. That's how many the morgue holds at the funeral home. You know what I found out? It holds four. Now, those are four people. Those are real lives. I'm not making light of that. But what I'm saying is, in fact, I've emailed the reporter. I, I, I got correspondence from one reporter, uh, and I asked a couple of questions. He said, I don't know, but I'll check on it for you. I asked the reporter that wrote the story. They haven't responded, but I talked to a person in Hazard that asked them. They said four. Now, they were leading folks to believe that there was more than four. Folks, can I tell you something? I've proved that old book. And it's true from cover to cover. I can trust God. I can trust that book. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to live my life in fears that are conjured up by imaginations. I'm not making little or light of COVID. I'm not. There's a lot of folks I know that are sick. I have an aunt in the hospital that has pneumonia after COVID. I'm not making light of that at all. But what I'm saying is we're supposed to prove truth. We're Christians. It's all right to prove truth. If somebody gets mad at you for asking, what is the proof? Why do you believe that? Dear friend, I, you might be able to question that individual. I don't want you to believe this preacher because I said it. I want you to believe this preacher because the Bible says it. God said hold fast to truth. I'm about out of time. There's an admonition to hold fast to sound words. 2 Timothy 1.13. I'll read it for you. Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Now here's what he's saying. God had given the deposit of spiritual truth to Paul. 
Paul had given that to, to Timothy. It was now Timothy's responsibility to hold fast the truth that he was given. I'm talking about as a person would guard a bank deposit, we are to guard the truth. You, you ever have something in your car that's valuable? And, and, and because it's in your car, you say to the family, make sure you lock the doors. Or you say to your husband, make sure you lock the doors. Or you lock it yourself because you want to make sure it gets locked. Because there's a valuable there. And you want to make sure uh, things that are valuable, you have them in a safe place at home. Or you have them in a safe place at the bank. God said uh, uh, to, to Paul, hold fast. Paul said to Timothy, hold fast sound words. I say to the generation of preachers that are here tonight and those that are listening to me, don't you water down the gospel. It's not your right to water down the gospel. It's your right to hold fast the gospel. Just like it is a of money of great value and you deliver that gospel truth you deliver that sound truth those words to this generation that needs to hear how to be born again I give you the last one and I'm finished twice in the book of Hebrews we're told to hold fast to our profession of faith in Christ Hebrews 4:14. seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold fast our profession. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he uh, is faithful that promise. Now here's the context. There are Hebrews who have now confessed faith in Christ and have walked away from the law that required continual sacrifice of animals. That sacrifice was pictures. They were examples. They were types of Christ to come. Christ has come. Christ has died on the cross. He has risen from the grave. Their faith is in Christ who has fulfilled the law. Now wait a minute. Here's the context. The priests were still operating the temple. They did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. They were still making animal sacrifices. And he is saying in this transition time in history, in this book of Hebrews, he said, you hold fast to your profession. There are some who say, boy, you can believe that if you want. I don't know about you, but I'm going to offer a sheep today, a lamb today. I'm going to offer, I don't have much. I'm going to offer turtle doves today. I, I, I'm going to the temple. And this fellow said, my faith is in Christ. I believe Christ is a fulfillment of the law. I believe everything the prophets have said. I believe that. And so they, were, they had pressure on them. In fact, some of them, the families preached their funerals. They considered them dead because they believed in Christ. They were the opposite. They had become alive in Christ. They weren't dead at all. The ones that were dead were those that had faith and obedience to the law. Uh, but those were types and figures of Christ who had come and had died on the cross and had risen from the grave. He said, folks, hold fast. Hold on to your profession. And I want to say to you tonight as we live in this world that wants to add something to their salvation and they want to add something that would give them pride in their salvation. I want to say to you tonight, hold fast to your profession of faith in Christ. I believe Christ and Christ alone can save. Hold fast. I don't mean just put it in your pocket. I mean hold fast. I mean, you got some money in your billfold button that back pocket when you put it in your back pocket. 
I'm talking about when you put that money in your purse, don't just put it in there, click it shut. Go ahead and put one in the chamber in case somebody tries to get in your purse. Some of you have finally spoke your language after 35 minutes. Now, boy, says he talk about putting one in the chamber. I know what he's talking about, huh? Hold fast. You know why? It's true. Let the scoffers scoff, let the mockers mock. My faith has found a resting place. I will hold fast to the truth of God's word. Stand with me tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you.